0: I was a slow learner, apparently. I really needed to go, but the excitement of playing in the water, I did a poo in the pool. The whole pool had to be evacuated as it was being cleaned. I guess it was an inconvenience to everyone. I didn't notice. I was a kid. I had no shame. (laughs) Nowadays, we're taught to have shame. It's like we're meant to be afraid of everything, living, being ourselves. It's all about being who people want us to be looking the right way talking the right talk just being me seems inappropriate somehow maybe we should all just have a poo in the pool every once in a while no shame gather round, ladies and gentlemen take a seat we've gathered here today with a similar issue so you've been publicly shamed That is the name of the book. The author is Ron Johnson. You are in the niche with your host, comic Nick Munez. Another Nick's Nonfiction Edition here. We are going over... The cancel culture of the 2010s with the foremost expert, John Ronson. He went undercover with that Justine Sacco girl, the girl who got 12 billion Google hits on her tweet about going to Africa. We're examining Lindsay Stone, who flipped off one of the monuments in D.C., got text messages from veterans in Twitter mobs. How many homeless veterans with one legs do you see with an Obama phone tweeting out in a hate mob? Are they the ones doing it? Are there people pulling the levers, men behind the algorithms? John Ronson's investigation through the 2010s interviewing all of these canceled people exposed a lot more. As he has written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, he had been ostracized from that community for not supporting their narrative enough. Public shame is totally in flux today. I mean, we saw with the Joe Biden Twitter scandal before leading up to the election, the fact that our own systems will interfere in our own elections, yada yada, call it whatever you want. We're not going to be getting into all of that topical stuff. We are getting into the cancel culture today. And I do want to hijack this intro we have timestamps for a reason go down skip to the beginning of the book if you like the about the authors a little table setting before we get into the story for the day skip there as for news for the channel something felt a little off a few weeks ago didn't it we missed an episode of nick's nonfiction, and now that's unlikely they said he couldn't do it nobody could read 52 books a year I've already been doing it. We got like plenty of notes for the show to come. It's just that there has been a stifling in the growth of the page. And during that week that I took off, I made a, pop up a Patreon page. Scroll to the top of the YouTube. There's a hot link. It's like a dollar a month. I literally expect zero people to subscribe to this. Once a month, I'm putting a video up there that is locked. You will never get to see my face unless you pay a dollar a month. That's just going to be a little bit of a repository for all of my projects for now and something to what we do get back to being able to get some exposure regarding the forums we were banned for. All of that is going to be some bonus content for the people. And I want to notify you next week I will not be doing a show. I'm going to make another one of those whip clips, a two-camera talk show in the front seat of a sedan It's the newest frontier in entertainment. Let's get into Ron Johnson today. That is the news. Thank you guys again. No show next week. So you've been publicly shamed. There's donuts in the back. Grab coffee. This is an AA meeting style show today. About the author, Ronson was born in Wales, a Tallywackin Brit. He attended Cardiff High School, worked for CBC Radio in his teen years before he went to college, Went to the Polytechnic Central London University for media studies. A useless degree. Tell me about it, bub. I might be saying it wrong all day. Ron, John, John. There's a Senator, John Ronson, that's involved in the scandals of today. And there's Ron John Surf Shop. (laughs) So forgive me. This is what we do. We put your names on the show. John is married to Elaine Patterson, with whom he has a son. It's a big deal to all those wankers across the pond. Ronson is a supporter of Arsenal, speaks in high adoration of the club. His first book, Clubbed Class, was written in 1994. This is a travelogue where he bluffed his way into the jet-set lifestyle of the upper echelon. He weaseled his way into the Jeffrey Epstein Island circle. Why did Stephen Hawking go to Jeffrey Epstein's Island? Does his wiener even work? If you try to buy this book on Amazon, it's $60. It takes multiple months to show up at your house ban literature whereas his next book in 2004 the men who stare at goats you know there was a giant hollywood movie with brad pitt made about that one and he went and interviewed the new age units within the united states army called the first earth battalion and there (laughs) he famously interviewed a general who said you can kill a goat by staring at it to death you know what i'm doing this weekend I just read that remote viewing book, The Seventh Sense by Lynn Buchanan. I might only review that one on the Patreon channel just because there are some books that I've been reading that are too truthful for YouTube. Like in the YouTube algorithm, you can't even curse within the first five minutes. You can't even curse within the first five minutes. I definitely broke that today. Just saying. If there's more content moving that way and I miss a week, sorry. John Ronson in The Men Who Stare at Goat was played by Ewan McGregor, and that was out in 2009. He wrote in 2011, The Psychopath Test, A Journey Through the Madness Industry. He loves exploring these psychopathic behavior people, the top 1%, the 2% of psychos who will cheat their other men out for another market share. And so he's been rubbing close with those lizard brains in 2015. This is his most recent book, so you've been publicly shamed, concerned on the effects of humiliation on the internet. It's a quick 10-chapter book. It's going to be a fun show today. All of them are tiny little stories. Chapter 1, I'm glad I'm not that. The story began for John in January of 2012 when her Twitter account was made in his name, With an underscore in between John and Ronson. It started tweeting about culturally racist concepts. About he went to a kebab place with sour cream, lemongrass, guarana mussels. This was his imposter account which he was DMing and they refused to expose their true identity. And the followers on this fake account started to creep into the double digits. They begin an investigation full on. John was saying that people are texting him like, is this you? Why are you tweeting semi-racist kind of jokes? I don't know if I want to be friends with you anymore. And John's like, well, now I know what would have made us not friends, but it's a troll. Thanks a lot. It started really getting past just a fun investigation when some of these followers, you know, triple digits, they start commenting on his Guardian articles. He's writing over with, Glenn Greenwald about Julian Assange A little bit of real journalism Goes on in the Guardian, England And they're going What not this the racist guy on Twitter Why is he allowed to write for the Guardian Tries to report it to Twitter He has no success for dozens of days Dozens of tweets are getting pumped out I'm going to have cavil fish at a bat mitzvah this weekend. And the account starts acting gay. It's hitting on hulkish porn stars on Twitter. And it's really drawing bad attention to John Ronson, the writer's name. He goes to the University of Cologne. His friend was an ex-Oxford teacher doing studies on infomorphs there. Which is kind of like an AI. They say it's like an algorithm gone rogue and it knows how to comment on things. But they have these... CIA pays for Alphabet who owns Google. They have these declassified studies where they put bots up and they create their own languages. They had a bot read over a bunch of Twitter, like the entire Twitter database, and it became racist. So there are very much infomorphs, you know, we're going to get into bot farms today. It's just a loose term, don't, not important. This University of Cologne professor assured John that other people are having the same problem And he's like, John Ronson, what, you think you're the only John? You think you're the real McCoy? There are layers of you that exist in real life that don't really exist online. John Ronson's like, what are you, some postmodern professor for the ivory tower? That's not a real, it's a post-truth answer. My identity has been stolen. My name is being tarnished. They told John that he shouldn't have used his real name in the first place on Twitter. Because Twitter is one of these websites that was built for anonymity. You're supposed to be egg number one billion and fifty two. You know, everybody starts with the egg. You only get 150 characters. Dan said, what you want to kill in this situation is not your identity or all the John Ronsons. It's the algorithm altogether. John's like, no, just off this troll. I want my name back. He's ultimately given no help at the end. Months pass and he got in touch with a Twitter moderator Finally, they took it down. Lessons from it stuck with him. He might think he got verified after, too. So, you know, every time you come out of a small amount of canceling drama, you can parlay it into an improvement, unless you're Jesse Smollett. I'm surprised that didn't pick up in 2020. Noose necklaces. It was a 12-week total fiasco April second, 2012. John underscore Ronson was deactivated. Could have done a lot more. John's totally interested in this canceling thing. This is when he starts drafting the book, publishes it three years later. In July, the Washington Post asked John to do a 10-day blog about Bob Dylan because they knew about his little fiasco, and Bob Dylan notoriously hated stardom. He left for a cabin in upstate New York, and then he finally realized, okay, now I have something to say. He was writing in his cabin. This makes any screeching crowd palatable. He's, uh, when you have something to say, you could John Lennon, you could walk through crowds and get shot in the dome. The blog went so good at the Washington Post. They gave him an 11th, a 12th, and an unlimited stay to write for them. The point of the project, John was trying to find out who his gatekeeper was. So he's bringing up uh, Bob Dylan hung out with Alistair Crowley. Like he's just saying wild shit to see if he, if people are going to censor him. And so this guy named Michael, I think it was Moynihan at the end of it, was at the Washington Post, suggested to him that maybe um, your message about the Bob Dylan fans' songs should be a little more positive. Michael is this editor. He's not a writer. You know, in all of these creative industries, there's always the suits trying to put their hand in there. But John Ronson knows to put a book out there, a national bestseller like this one, you got to have some infomorph, some crazy shit for people to occupy their brain with. And John Rodson said through his, like, weeks of conversations with Michael that his mission wasn't just editing. It was curating stories to reinforce a cultural narrative. (laughs) You know, MSM has an agenda. Like, it's obviously one-sided most of our outlets. We just read a couple weeks ago, Reverend Dimsdale, The Scarlet Letter, it's keeping people in line. You're not trying to spread truth. This isn't real journalism. So Michael went over John's publications picking out what he called mind-polluting words. John refers to him as the digital fiddler. There's gatekeepers more than ever. It's not just, oh, the algorithm didn't pick you up. There are hands deciding which accounts get banned. Michael, the editor, never more dialed in in the office when one of his writers were proposing a hit piece, like a uh, (laughs) knee-capping piece to try to take down someone's credibility you know the editor loves this it gets the positive and the negative clicks Michael would always make an excuse to step back and watch the mob fight he got in a big fight with Jonah another writer who wrote a big piece enough to cancel one guy's life and Jonah quit saying please don't publish this I know you told you told me to write it but this guy is going to like disappear from society if you write this and then jonah quit michael spent 26 days trying to write a piece about it and it wound up quadrupling the size of the washington post's opinion section that year the point here these hit pieces get the most clicks negative views you've heard before social dilemma we love to watch car crashes So John in the Washington Post, that Guardian, he's walking on eggshells thinking maybe these bots, these cancels, are used to keep the writers in line. Just like the fucking Buckingham Palace. They only let certain writers in that they know are going... If you have a restaurant, you're only going to pay for and let positive food reviewers into your restaurant. Constantly John is thinking about the Bob Dylan song, his lyrics, I'm glad... I'm not that guy. Jonah lost his vocation. Chapter 2, The Wilderness. Americans, we love a tragedy with a happy ending. Little oxymoron, Jonah Lehrer, full name, they met up in Runyon Canyon, L.A., to discuss the canceling. And he was being painted for, like, something happened where people are going over his old Daily Mail articles when he was just getting started. Now, at the Washington Post, canceled from there, there are these trolls digging up his old articles and telling him, You're the most racist writer ever. You know, you could, if you're a white guy, you could always be painted as a white supremacist. Whatever this fucking cultural Marxist thing puts me in the box of, sure, I'm that. Jonah told him he always wanted to be a science writer, probably would have caught less flack there. He got the Rhodes Scholarship at Oxford. And this put him on the whole writer, like, the cathedral path, the legacy media, you know what I'm saying? 2012 is when he made the jump from Wired to The New Yorker. And so then he's like, this is when I was cancelable. But everything I wrote before that was still on the docket to dox me. Jonah was heavily depressed. He's like, if we hike together for too long, let's turn back now. My sadness is going to infect you. And John was like, no. Did you ever hear about this Oregon lawyer? He was falsely accused by the FBI of the 2004 Madrid bombing. And this guy went into hiding for two full years. (laughs) Jonah's like, okay, I guess we could finish the hike. Think about, remember that story? I think it was the Atlanta, pretty sure the Atlanta Olympics. (laughs) They blamed a bombing on this chubby guy who almost killed himself. That guy. He kind of looks like Ken Bone. Remember from the last presidential election when people were actually asking questions and we were concerned (laughs) about public policy? This was a freak show this year. Not to get into that too much. Ken Bone and this fat guy. That should have been the reparations for the Atlanta City bombing. They should let this guy ask a question for tarnishing his life at every single presidential election. (laughs) The biggest mistake Jonah Lehrer had in his canceling was that he admitted in a Twitter live feed that he was sorry for all of his wrongful news pieces. And then the trolls ate that up even more. He compiled a list of his biggest failures and was like, this is what I'm sorry for, everyone. Which is, like, you know, SNL. People are getting canceled for things they say on radio shows. He put together a clip of his biggest Me Too's, a mea culpa. He did the trolls' homework for them. Remember the 2016, I got to bring it up again, the 2016 election was the biggest uh, upset in the history of competition. Donald Trump almost got caught saying, uh, grab it by the pussy. And he didn't say, I'm sorry. He said, that's locker room talk. Never, ever, ever apologize. (laughs) Also on the hike, Jonah said to John that Michael Moynihan, his editor, reached out to him saying, sorry, but I got to run a piece on you. And he was comparing it to, you know, the 1700s. I said Buckingham Palace before. How hard was it to be a journalist in the new world? (laughs) You just wrote about a different guy named Nathaniel discovering a different river that week. So John felt even more pain in the Jonah story than his own little Twitter imposter. And he's hitting the stacks, hitting the library, seeing how public shame went back in history, bought up the stockades, This is like the new stockades. If you say something a little bit out of line, you are made an example of. I talked a little bit about this in the whip clip, so I'm not going to go over it too much. Check out the new one next week. MSNBC is mostly financed by defense contractors. GE holds a lot of their stocks. They will cancel their top-rated show if they don't like the message. Remember, Brian Williams didn't support Vietnam, took him off the air John talked about Rush Limbaugh. That is a legend of radio. Always mentioned a study where criminals in the courtroom are at a point of stress where they experience physical bodily pain. And that is exactly what people who experience the digital stockades feel as well. Um, Remember Chillingsworth, Cullingsworth, the scarlet letter. When people found out he left his wife adulterer, he died slowly rotted away people feel actual pain when you are put in this public jury again with the don't apologize thing john is saying every single tweet positive or negative like even if you're trying to vouch for that person's character do not tweet don't even try to bring traffic to their name on the internet during one of these storms it's like catching a cold you gotta just go through it and then you'll come out on the other side people forget we have a 24-hour news cycle John's just concerned. Moynihan's reaching out to Jonah Lair. This guy seems like he has a lot of power. Go read the bio for the show. Constitution couldn't have seen that. We were going to have a medias this powerful, and they are able to be the judge, jury, executioner, and exiler. That's why you got to get back out into the wilderness. Chapter three American AIDS. Mobs are forming with a ton of regularity online. This is around 2013. John is meeting with multiple people a week who are losing their account or getting banned for bad tweets. This is like right now, Tim Pool is a Democrat, gets like millions of live stream views on YouTube, and he stands up for Republicans on Twitter. He just wants to see free speech that's actual leftyism, whatever this new leftyism, progressivism. We need more parties, is the really own answer. And we know this chapter will breeze over it a little bit. The Justine Sacco. Story. She had around 170 followers tweeted from Heathrow London Airport. Going to Africa this weekend. Hope I don't get AIDS. JK, I'm white. Able to deliver it a little bit more with your vocal cords. This tweet absolutely bombed when she was in the air, twelve-ish hour flight. Hashtag Justine Landed had thousands upon thousands of hits. Her management texted her to see what was happening. She finally hit the tarmac and found out that she was fired. Her management blamed the necessary fixings on IAC. They were saying this third-party HR who monitors all of our employees' tweets found you as suspect and now you have to be fired. She's like, wait, I don't even get to talk to Betty and HR about why I'm getting fired? It's some third party? Instead of, like, drug testing people now, I mean, they still harvest your fluids as a corporation, this IAC, maybe these corporations, they just hire someone to watch your tweets. And instead of fucking picking... Everybody smokes weed. Instead of picking some other bullshit, now they could just fire you without paying you severance package for your online profiles. Justine Sacco told John, people who get in car wrecks have what's called a transfiguration. Cars used to be your friend, is how I made out with my first girlfriend at Makeout point. Now it's a fucking death trap. You see all the other idiots on the road and you're realizing this is the same as Twitter. I used to just uh, have fun there, want to get some uh, electric thumbs ups. But now I'm realizing I could lose my job. My family can hate me. My profession could be washed down the toilet. People start digging up her old tweets. One was, I had a sex dream about an autistic kid last night. (laughs) I find it funny. Inappropriate, of course. So now that she's in the climate of cancel, everything looks bad. It's good to know that in the DMT, the sleep realm universe, wherever that is, special kids are getting laid. John shifted a little bit mid-chapter. He talked about interviewing white supremacists for this book. He talked to the Aryan nation, <laughs> Aryan nation against the Jewish bankers. That'd be a great resume piece. <laughs> what kind of clubs, what do you do in your social time? Those guys said that they aren't racist against all Jews, only the full-blooded ones. I mean, come on, do they sleep upside down? And <laughs> Just kidding. John made the connection. These Aryan brothers, these people are more tolerable than the dog-whistled Twitter mobs who, if you say a word, or if you're a white cis male you are automatically the enemy and these fucking guys with nazi swastika tattoos on their forehead are like give me a blood test first are you truly a semi these orange-haired chicks that'll boo you off stage for a sex joke they don't even test me to see if i'm full-blooded white male what if i do have a couple drops of gay blood in my veins can i still be held culpable for hate speech let's just hope they're not drops of aids bloods right (laughs) <laughs> you guys know the fucking KKK has a Twitter account. Why is that even allowed? Isn't hate speech not allowed on your platform? Their entire mission is hate. And Justine joking about special kids getting laid is a little bit too much hate for the internet. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it was made for. Justine like went into hiding. We're going to check up with her at the end of the book because this is pretty much the cancel case that kicked it all off. 12 days billion google searches and then it was just acceptable to put people into the public square of execution this story was pretty cool though a guy named ted pope in the 1990s from texas he killed two people drunk driving and he had to wear a neck sign like the dunce cap a public shaming for a hundred days the guy was skipping around texas towns but his reputation followed him everywhere Just from word of mouth, oh, that's the guy that killed people. I heard he stuck it out, though, 100 days, 12 hours on his feet, getting tomatoes thrown at him. Justine, this guy literally killed two people, and Justine made one bad joke, and she was ran out of the global civilization. Ted Poe, he eventually came back to Houston and won a position in the State House of Representatives, this manslaughterer. Physical recognition in that time, it was positive even like a tragedy plus time equals comedy public shame plus time just equals recognition he won a public servant position which means you know he gets paid to take vacations by lobbyists john was just making a great point as a writer how it's digital it's gotten worse people don't forgive now (laughs) you know religion's down we forgot jesus's message we like to cancel, build it up, break it down. Chapter 4, Descending the Ladder. 2011, the London riots were a snowball of group madness. Augusto Tottenham was the guy who was probably super disrespectful of what I just did. This was their George Floyd. He was shot to death and then, um, I <laughs> can't <okay>, breathe, brav. <laughs> Five days Of occupying the streets, riots ensued in London. All of John's academic friends were calling it the Mexican wave or contagious thought. It fizzled out when it got to the outskirts, Camden. Gustave Le Bon was the first scientist to research group madness, a Frenchman Wrote about this back in 1853 when Napoleon III was trying to siege Parisians. He was trying to run off with his short little legs to Versailles. None of you can catch me. And the French revolutions are not exactly portrayed this way in American history. You know they go because it happened right after American Revolution. The teacher's still flexing, putting body oil on, and they're like just read that quick blurb about the french revolution they stormed the bastille and it was a complete success in actuality the french went through like three more napoleons the parisians were guillotining people for 50 years (laughs) gustave was writing about group madness and how maybe we got a little bit of a bloodlust guys there's never going to be a perfect government if we're going to use this system let's admit it let's drink some wine and have baguettes again quit the group madness I mean, the French might be the first to this again. They were doing the firefighters, the yellow vest riots in 2019 before all the riots got shut down conveniently. Gustave, though, he had some, like, real-ass 1850 thoughts. I guess you can't blame him for the time. He thought women's brains were less heavy than men, therefore less intelligent. Yes, scientifically truth. (laughs) He went to Arabia and was praised for saying all this shit. The Negro is not as smart as one. All of that. I don't want the sound clip of me saying that. (laughs) This was the origins of crowd psychology. He saw that wild shit worked some more places other than others. And in America, we love to cancel the Romans. They love to watch blood sport gladiators, French guillotines. Americans, we like digital burgundy blood. His whole point here is how... We are descending currently back into this ladder of rationality into groupthink. Whatever, (laughs) trust the scientists, show us your fucking seven-step scientific method. It's like when you get a group of men together, collectively their IQ drops by 30 points, which averages out to retarded. These uh, mobs, the pitchforks and the torches seem like a good idea. The molotovs, when you get enough people... With Antifa t-shirts on. We just bought up Ken Bone before. Think about how much the quality of the debates has deteriorated. Literally all it takes for people to rally over is for one chick to say, I'm talking. (laughs) Oh my god, people. Can you fucking tell me what you're going to do with social security? We talked about this in the whip clip a little bit. John said the Stanford prison experiment gave birth to the Lucifer effect which is when you're waiting on or you're restricted, have small freedoms taken away. I'm not allowed to say this. I have to wear this like the Puritans. I have to support this public message, tell everybody to vote. When you get all of those boundaries placed around you, you become in every aspect more catatonic. You're just doing less totally. It's called the Lucifer Effect. They tested a shit ton in these inhumane student studies where they lock you in a classroom as your own cell. Think about society right now. You're waiting in your house for some fucking mayor who's getting blown by the hottest hooker to tell you when you're allowed to leave your house to go make a dollar. It is absolutely insane. Life is about more than preventing death. Fear of a mob is only one more way to put fences around people's ideas. Chapter 5 Doing Something Good. Hank wanted to remain anonymous for this story. He is from the West Coast, March of 2013, a tech developer. He was sitting at the front of a tech conference for all these uh, Silicon Valley guys. He said under his breath to his buddy, I want to fork that speaker's repo. The chick on stage, he was saying, I want to stick my dongle in her USB slot. Hank, he had to report this joke to journalists for months and them asking him can you explain this again yeah i wanted to put my micro usb into her flash drive no but what were you saying hank i I just told you my ethernet cable needed a coax it doesn't get better when you're asked to explain the joke and we'll see hank leaned into it the reason he got caught at this conference some fucking snitch a chick was sitting behind him and took a picture of the back of hank's head and was like, these creeps are talking about having sex with the girl on stage. <laughs> obviously, your girl, you leave the house, you know, guys are just thinking about fucking you. If you go on stage, what do you think they're thinking about? He only had 9,000 followers, and the joke went completely viral in the Caltech community. This was called the EO Speech Conference. Hank had to make an apology on Sunday at the end. He was going, it was a dumb joke. I obviously would not have said it in front of my kids, even though it was a well-layered double entendre. They wouldn't have gotten it anyway. People in the room were literally laughing at his apology. Next day, he's fired from his job, and the hate continues in the digital world. Hank, he tried to fight it. He put a statement out on Hacker News, saying these are fake journalists. It's some girl writing a smear piece behind me who was just as bored as I was during this chick's non-entertaining speech. Didn't work. People leaned into his canceling. Hank tried to go to support on 4chan. Not a good idea. That's where you will really get your complexes psyche picked apart by those autists. Everyone in 4chan leaned into the joke. They're like, Hank, you're a fucking pervert, man. She made herself vulnerable and you're calling her out. <laughs> they, uh, The 4chan community will only ever spring into action if you're abusing your cat. You know, these people, <laughs> they like a good joke and they will use you for a laugh. It's not that bad, Hank, is it? This is all fake ire. And the point of the book is this is shame. It hurts you physically just as bad. He made the comparison how KKK, I just did my own research on that. They knew how had a Twitter page. The KKK has a PayPal. But think about this, WikiLeaks. Julian Assange, who's being... Held captives for uh, leaking Hillary Clinton's emails on WikiLeaks. They are not allowed to receive $5 from their patrons. (laughs) And you go on the fucking New York Times now and they're like, you're allowed to see five pieces of news before you owe us $20. The KKK has a PayPal page and WikiLeaks' real journalism does not anymore. Objectively, hate is more accessible online and championed than, you know journalistic integrity so the court of public opinion like in hank's case is always inconsistent he won back over the room of people and then got dragged through the mud online this is why we have like more plato suggested professional juries but even our legal system is a tiny bit better than having your job taken away by internet people chapter six shame free paradise a man can dream can't he This is an absolutely wild story. An F1 racer, Max Mosley, (laughs) he was exposed as a prostitute enthusiast. He was caught wearing full Nazi regalia, and he had five girls dressed as Jews in his sex orgy torture dungeon. His dad was a really well-to-do guy in Europe and had Hitler, Adolf Hitler... As a guest of honor at his marriage, <laughs> and the uh, graphic video leaked of Max in his basement, like calling these girls dressed as Anne Frank, really, really vile anti-Semitic stuff. News of the World published this leaked video of him, and we can't even get the the Hunter Biden kitty tape out after the scandal. Max Mosley told the news of the world journalist that he felt more intact than ever he's like people knew my dad was a well known Nazi and people know I attend SNM clubs he's like my sexual proclivities are basically out there so this scandal that you tried to hit me with was the climax to my entire kink and drama it's like as bad as people could have imagined your Pornhub history made public owned by MindGeek financed by the CIA so there could be a giant fapping like nude leak of everybody one day just to see it coming people get rid of the shame now I'm saying this is a big dick move of Mosley he just went through it he's like yeah this is what I'm into why the fuck are you snooping through my things and it is kind of a baller kink <laughs> power related I don't want to tread in that joke water Tina was the reporter at News of the World and also published the Arnold Lewis sex scandal. This guy told her, if you publish my sex tape, I'm going to kill myself. And so this Tina bitch rolled the dice, Arnold Lewis killed himself, and she literally just took that dice roll again on Max Mosley, this F1 driver. Pretty wild story. That's pretty journalistically lacking of integrity. Like, as a doctor, you sign an oath, the, is it a Socratic oath, where you say, I'm going to try to save people even if they are a pedophile? Journalists can protect pedophiles and write hit pieces on people who do things in private. The chapter shift, John talked about writing on kink.com, and we uh, had Chris Hedges, the America the Farewell tour, great show. He went to the San Francisco Armory, their headquarter. John Ronson talked about taking a shame class there. They have an orgy university. And again, shame is one of these main factors to make you lose touch with your sexuality, your personhood, whatever you're into. And John said he learned so much more about himself. He spent fucking upwards of 20 pages revealing about how he hooked up with a transsexual. I don't know if he was trying to get some of his own cancel clout Or he's trying to get in front of his own canceling. You know, put his own sex tape out before someone else tries to. But this is how you should live. Wear your fucking scarlet letter on your chest. Whatever your shame is. (laughs) If you don't buy into the shame one of the later chapters is about, it doesn't affect you. We'll skip it later. Save time. The quote was, As soon as the victim steps out of the pact by refusing to feel shame, the whole thing crumbles. Chapter 7. Drowning of Mike Daisy. Sitting down at a Brooklyn restaurant in 2013, Mike defined the word apology for John. An apology is a communion, a coming together, and for one to make the apology, the other side has to be listening. A mob does not know how to listen, they don't want a rational answer, they seek destruction. It's like once you open the can of violence, you can't really put the worms back in. And that's what we're doing with this BLM shite, which is if you look at the Google search for that, Google Analytics is kind of blowing their own spot. It's only every four years that that comes back into existence. You can make the argument, well, we only talk about our public issues every four years. Go back to my Ken Bone argument. We don't even talk about public issues anymore. <laughs> Mike Daisy was a self-identified dandy in the New York theater world, wore a tie everywhere, slick-backed hair, and a smile on his face. He was a frequent listener of This American Life, you know, all like the suburban housewife moms are listening to this shows. This is what his life revolved around, doing these little bar shows, a one-man show, his life story. A girl that he was talking to up in Maine slow faded him. And then eight months later told him that the baby she was having was his. And this got him in a super depression. He, like, one night told John he went out for a swim in the lake two miles. He had never even swam 100 meters before. And John was like, what, you you just wanted to get a workout in? And Mike's like, no, I was fucking complacently killing myself. And then this American Life reporter saw him sing show tunes one day in Joe's pub Manhattan and asked him to do This American Life. And if you go look on their backlog, the Mike Daisy episode became the most popular in the history of that show. And he talked about the iPhone factories, Foxconn, like the ones where they have to put fences up so the little kids making your iPhone don't jump out. He talked about this on air, didn't really do his life story. He did the bob dylan thing saying whoa i have a platform now maybe i should say something of value the point was here mike he totally switched gears he stopped doing his like one man show tune show and started talking about that whole issue he gave up the cancel he turned it into something where people should uh take action mike was saying death is always around the corner it's what you're willing to live or give your life to And the cancel mob, they could act as a rebirth for you if you're lost. This was a cliffhanging chapter. Mike Daisy, he made it through the drowning. A lot of people say that's what it feels like when you're in the middle of these cancelings. Getting towards Act 3 of the book, this is a big one. The Algorithm Himself, Chapter 8. Lindsay Stone, she was the aide for an adult group with learning disabilities in Washington, D.C. She took them to the National Mall October 2012, which ended in a karaoke bar. They were singing Total Clips of the Heart. It seemed like a totally normal day. And, you know, 18 months later, she's telling this story to John at her own kitchen table. Hadn't left the house in an entire year. She knows how to quarantine life living independent forever was her employer for two years off duty on her own time on her own social media page she had a gag where she would pretend to smoke in front of non-smoking signs you know no speaking she would pretend she was shouting there's a picture of me out there I have a hard copy I hope that's the only one in existence of me taking a literal deuce in front of a no dumping sign the exact picture lindsey stone got canceled on that one day in washington dc she was in front of one of the national war memorials and she was like flipping off one of the signs that said be quiet there weren't any tombstones in the background you could barely tell where she was she's like this is the point i'm trying to call out authority if you don't like counterculture go back to a wheel of fortune it's okay not everybody has to like the same thing we don't want the gray utopia you want the free one and so people start tweeting at her, I hope this cunt gets raped to death. What? How is this guy not kicked off of Twitter? It's just spreading infighting. That's what the technocrats want to see. Getting big picture for a moment, sorry. But anything that can be weaponized against us will be. Twitter, obviously, it's uh which fucking like emoji do you have that lets me not consider you as a fellow human? our fucking food stores 80% of the food in it has sugar in it is spiked with an insulin (laughs) if the product is free like they say you are the product this case in particular was so bad Lindsay stayed home for a year again she was fired from her job I think it was like six months in she wound up getting a job caring for children with autism she should hook up a Justine Sacco with that job she considered the whole situation a terrible nightmare John compares this to another headline. Happened the same month uh, his friend Mike Moynihan ran the piece on something upham. He got caught offshoring $11 million in a Swiss bank. And you're thinking, shit, a banker is going to get canceled? He was fined $5.5 million, and the U.S. court attorney dropped the case. And the headline was, Man Accused of Helping Mom Hide Money Overseas. They weren't saying... Racist Twitter lady flips off National Monument. Again, Mike Moynihan ran the piece. A little suspect at <laughs> they're ruining this lady who works with our disabled people and letting a guy who's stealing tax money get away with the biggest fluff headline of all time. <laughs> if you're looking at the mainstream media, it's usually best to assume that the exact opposite is true. John is saying it could be some, like, black ops reputation management that he's got hired. but He thinks there's a bigger agenda, again, at hand. White-collar crime, you get to go to a cushy prison. It's not the same as patrolling for order and violence, which 80% of violent crime takes place under the influence of alcohol. Let's re-influence what kind of substances we champion. John had a couple good leads knowing this Upham character and Mike Moynihan, he looked into Metal Rabbit Media, who had some shit on the books with Upham and journalists limited few names to the website. There was like, <laughs> you know, there. it's a, if you look on the Blackwater website, who gets a lot of our tax money and is bigger than the Marines, there's no information. He's like, all of this is just behind the little facade that is a webpage. John's putting all the puzzle pieces together. Moynihan's Money Manager leaked to him how Metal Rabbit Media is also on Mike's payroll. <laughs> so, like, if you're going to be a high-status blue check mark writer, you are going to have a PR company keeping your comment section clean. So if we actually believed in democracy, one upvote, one downvote, we would have free speech platforms. The fact that we allow algorithms at all to monitor what we see is some sort of community aggregated thought pattern. And I'm just saying like he, John Ronson's big on this counterculture. He knows our thoughts have to be diverse. This is what America thrives on. It's how we're the most inventive. What's that word called? We pioneer the most new shit because we have all these different ideas and the allowance to do that. You're not seeing a lot of women inventors coming out of the Middle East. <laughs> Chapter 9, this is going to bring us to, again, that chapter's fucking insane. Mike Moynihan is curating every single story that goes on the media. You know Bernie Rupert Murdoch owns basically every single publication. Fox and CNN. Chapter 9, Terror. John went to Piccadilly Hotel Manchester to interview a rookie court expert witness... That's your job being a jury member, would describe a courtroom as a dog fight. And if you get in between the two dogs, the attorneys, they will bite through you to get to the bone. So they're saying, um, move to the side, no sniggering. <laughs> That's a great British word. Even some of the longtime jury members had their superstitious tricks. If you wear a brown suit, you're gonna be less believable. And they said how they saw people, like, their shoulders curl inwards, people's eyes sink in when they feel the shame several days into a long-term trial. Terror. It's what it's all about. He took the narrative over to Jim McGreevy, ex-Jersey governor. He outspokenly took money from uh, the Clinton Foundation, Bill and Hillary, in his 2001 campaign, which helped him secure Drumthwacket, the government, the governor gubernatorial status <laughs> that's the new jersey governor's mansion it looks like a white it looks like a mini white house but it's in the shittiest or second shittiest town in jersey tretton and you know the clinton foundation has more dark money than there is dark matter in space jim McGreevy he was a new yorker for most of his life you would think the jerseyites hate him naturally but he made it to governor in his first push ever Whoa, maybe the Clintons pulled some strings for him. Golan was some insider who helped him get his second campaign win and gave him an office. And a year later, Golan accused McGreevy of homosexual misconduct. Harlot. So he took the favor. They wound up cashing in the check. If you want to go deep real quick. You ever hear about the Black Eye Club? (laughs) It's like all of the Hollywood celebrities, before they get their biggest breaks, they come out in public and they have a black eye. It's like a gang. You're getting jumped into success. So McGreevy, he wound up stepping down due to the scandal. He's still part of the entire swamp of Washington. John's trying to say they kept him in line using shame started talking about prisons a little bit prisons are built so that you're self-reflective and you feel shame scarlet letter we talked about state penitentiary you are and then you look at like al capone's jail cell he had a slot machine card table he was doing whiskey a queen bed literally his jail cell was nicer than my apartment the entire purpose of jail though like the quote before if you don't buy into the shame it doesn't work and talking to inmates, the only people that feel shame in jail are child molesters, kitty touchers. You know, you get raped in the shower. Those are the people that get turned into the bitches. <laughs> it just says something about prison. Like, uh, if it really was about helping people get back on their feet, the recidivism rate wouldn't be 70%. It This is not really to help people. It is just to create a private prison system to make money off their day labor. Another cool prison tip he had was how the people who are pretty obviously retarded in prison, they get adopted by a gang first because they know these people can't fend for themselves. I don't know. That was like they have more respect in prison than in society, a.k.a. mass prison, where our leaders are the pedophiles. (laughs) But anyway, like, shame doesn't work on everybody, especially as humans. We used to walk around naked. It's just this twist that we learned with Puritanism and religion. In prison, the only thing that works and will always work to control people is fear. And that's the number one thing they use. That's not really what the book is about today. In prison, they'll tell you, hey, we'll put you in a shower time, too, with Big Tommy. And this guy's pounding his fist. He's pretending that he's going to fuck you in the ass. And you know, statistically, more men get raped a year than than women. Sorry to trigger the lasses. Fear is going to always be a better control mechanism. And that's what he's saying. Terror, the shame, fear combo will keep a society in line and an empire thriving for millennia. It's going to take us to our last chapter, chapter 10, cats, ice cream, and music. Is that what the internet was made for? Maybe. Reputation.com had their publicist Leslie Hobbs show John around their HQ. They had these like blacked out booths for celebrities to have private phone calls. Espresso machines, top of the line. These are the people that helped Lindsay Stone during that flip off the monument debacle. They put a fluff piece out to humanize her. Like, they took over her Twitter account too, but they were like, this is Lindsay Stone. This is her favorite ice cream. You like cats, right, Lindsay? Yeah. You're a fan of music? Mm. I'm the only person on earth that doesn't like rhythmic sound. John was drawing a piece of all of our profiles saying, this is all of us. This isn't even like an article. I could have just read Twitter to get this. Puppies and pizza. We have created a world where the smartest way to survive is to be bland and I said before diversity of ideas is the best way to keep on innovating we're like turning into an asexual species we're turning into like some squids pretend to be females so that they can impregnate the females they call them sneaky fuckers that is an actual gad sad this guy is one of the most informative podcasters on earth go subscribe to his show read his book the parasitic mind We're going to turn into this society where these people pretend that they're a male feminist and they're just being a sneak so that they could get in bed. That shit doesn't actually work with women, but it slowly is becoming that way as a sex. And we are—we can be bent into any shape we want as humans. John is seeing this way with Twitter and with Reputation.com. You can astroturf Lindsay Stone's entire identity. They said at Reputation.com some of their worst clients had to go in therapy, get new phone numbers, couldn't leave home. They had clinical PTSD. Again, don't buy into the shame. Throw your fucking phone in a river if this ever happens to you for a few months. You can get actual brain damage. Think about like um when they storm and no-knock raid you, the SWAT team comes in your home unannounced tests on those people show in later years you have ptsd you have nightmares about it and shit this is like fucking the cold war the stasi if you lived in east berlin as a russian they had that secret police they rifle through your shit unannounced they will read every one of your love letters they detain you send you to a gulag for contraband this is what we are living with in our pocket it's just waiting to jump on you for saying something wrong Two years later, it was October of 2014, John met back up with Lindsay and her fake Twitter account had made all these friends, being ran by Reputation.com. And Lindsay, she hadn't been on the internet in a couple years. Years! And imagine going years without the internet right now. John and her Google her name for the first time and her account had as many followers as at the canceling Except all of the posts on her wall were positive. People were sharing their favorite Disney movie with her, responding to her their favorite ice cream. And John's point here is that first chapter, I am not the real McCoy. My name didn't have to tarnish forever. Justina, one of the other Lindsay Stones, was a professional athlete. You know, the only name that has to live in infamy is Adolph. And my grandpa, Bob, had a brother named Adolf, which they had to call A.D. <laughs> he went over, wrapping up the book here, Justine Sacco's account, her $12 billion Google search flying to Africa, generated Google $0.38 cents per search, over half a million dollars. Half a million dollars. Think about, like, America's Funniest Home Videos, Tosh.0, these shows... In a simpler time before 2012, Twitter and all this canceling shit, they took random people making wholesome videos on the internet or informative shit or funny kicking your son in the testicles, five minutes of fame, 15 minutes of fame, whatever it was called. And after that, like some of those tosh people stayed in Hollywood and got commercial deals. They were doing a good thing. Now the media, the MSM is in complete control, has a gatekeeper hold over the narrative there's no more 50 mi- you get canceled and you get no money you have to be put in the digital stockade feel the physical shame we are straight up heading back into puritanism it's a very this is a great read it's pretty easy too if you have a kid and you're giving them an iphone they're like i tweeted stupid shit when i was first given a phone <laughs> you should definitely give your teens this book to read And this fucking, like, uh, every corner you go around, you're walking on eggshells trying to avoid the trolls. (laughs) John is saying we are playing into the tech utopians' hands. Zuckerberg, Big Zuck 2 genetically engineered to steal your freedoms. (laughs) These guys are fucking lizards. Let's keep on the cat videos, maybe some internet books shared around. What's with the hate? And I know, I've said it, I've been... My mental filter has gotten so much better. Being able to filter all that negative comments, you know, you just got to get better at it, get tougher skin. These average internet users, honestly, what the fuck are you doing on Instagram, Twitter, if you're not, like, building an audience or something? Maybe, I guess it's, I don't know, everybody has their own impulses. Justine Sacco is saying her last thing to John Public media, Twitter is like a park with sleeping pit bulls. (laughs) Walk through it. Enjoy your time. Try to meet some people if you can. But do not wake up the sleeping dogs. Cryptic. That is so you've been publicly shamed. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, John Ronson, for all of that work. I have experienced the public shaming as of recent, And the ostracization is going strong. Thank you for whatever core listeners are still getting in. We're obviously welcoming all the newcomers as well. This is what we do on a weekly basis, except for next week. Reminder, I will not be here. I will be recording a whip clip. We will be back the week of Thanksgiving with our monthly themed show. Tuesday, the 24th, we are reading Fast Food Nation by Eric Slosher. This author is recommended by Anthony Bourdain, one of the men who has eaten the most fast food all around the world, the most food, period. He's been on all of like the Super Size Me documentaries. This book is about the American diet, which we are going to be taking a deeper look into on the biggest eating and drinking month of the year. It's going to be a really fun show. Thank you again for staying tuned for another ep of Nick's Nonfiction. See you in a fortnight. Peace.